Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual by Jocko Willink. This book is dedicated to Mark Lee, Mike Monsoor, and Ryan Job from SEAL Team 3 Task Unit Bruiser who lived and fought and died as warriors. Part 1. Thoughts. The Way of Discipline. People look for the shortcut. The hack. And if you came here looking for that, you won't find it. The shortcut is a lie. The hack doesn't get you there. And if you want to take the easy road, it won't take you to where you want to be. Stronger, smarter, faster, healthier, better. Free. To reach goals and overcome obstacles and be the best version of you possible will not happen by itself. It will not happen cutting corners, taking shortcuts, or looking for the easy way. There is no easy way. There is only hard work, late nights, early mornings, practice, rehearsal, repetition, study, sweat, blood, toil, frustration, and discipline. Discipline. There must be discipline. Discipline, the root of all good qualities, the driver of daily execution, the core principle that overcomes laziness and lethargy and excuses. Discipline defeats the infinite excuses that say, not today, not now, I need a rest, I'll do it tomorrow. What's the hack? How do you become stronger? smarter faster healthier how do you become better how do you achieve true freedom there is only one way the way of discipline why why over and over and over again i'm asked why what drives me when I was younger, I was preparing for war. I knew that somewhere out there, another man was also preparing. That man was my enemy. He was working, training, planning, and preparing to meet me on the battlefield. I didn't know when, I didn't know where, but I knew at some point we would meet. And I wanted to be ready. Ready mentally, ready physically, ready emotionally. So I trained. And I prepared. And I did everything I could to be ready for that day. When I became a leader, I took the same approach. To prepare my men in the same way. To train brutally and without mercy so we could fight brutally and without mercy. And the day came. We met the enemy on the battlefield. We were ready and we fought and we won. Then one day it was over. 
I was no longer a soldier, no longer a leader of men. I was no longer preparing myself or my men for war. So, what drives me now? The answer is simple. The men that did not come home. Mark and Mikey and Ryan. But it is not only them. There are others. Hundreds more. Thousands more. Countless more. Who fought and died to give me the gift of freedom. And for them, I will make every day, every minute, every second, I will make it all count. I will live to honor their sacrifice, a life worthy of the price they paid for me, for us. I will not let them down. Where does discipline come from? Where does discipline come from? This is a simple answer. Discipline comes from within. Discipline is an internal force. Sure, you can have discipline imposed on you by a person like a drill instructor or that self-help guru on TV, but the reality is he won't give you the real discipline. Because that external discipline is not strong. It will not survive. It cannot stand on its own. What you are looking for, what you need, is self-discipline. Self-discipline, as the very name implies, comes from the self, you. It comes when you make a decision to be disciplined. When you make a decision to be better. When you make a decision to do more and be more. Self-discipline comes when you decide to make a mark on the world. And if you don't think you are disciplined, it is because you haven't decided to be disciplined. Yet. It is because you haven't created it. Yet. It is because you haven't become it. Yet. So where does it come from? It comes from you. So make the decision. Make the commitment. Become the discipline. Embrace its cold and relentless power. And it will make you better and stronger and smarter and faster and healthier than anything else. And most important, it will make you free. Overcoming procrastination. When and where to start. People want to know how to stop laziness. They want to know how to stop procrastination. They have an idea in their head. Maybe even a vision. But they 
don't know where to start. So they ask and they say, where do I start? When is the best time to start? And I have a simple answer. Here and now. That's it. You want to improve? You want to get better? You want to get on a workout program or a clean diet or start a new business? You want to write a book or make a movie or build a house or a computer or an app? Where do you start? You start right here. When do you start? You start right now. You initiate action. You go. Here is the reality. That idea isn't going to execute itself. That book isn't going to write itself. Those weights out in the gym, they aren't going to move themselves. You have to do it. And you have to do it now. So stop thinking about it. Stop dreaming about it. Stop researching every aspect of it and reading all about it and debating the pros and cons of it. Start doing it. Take that first step and make it happen. Get after it. Here. And now. The person you can control. People are not who you want them to be. Kill your idols. Sure, there are things we can learn from people, but people aren't going to be what you think they are, what they should be. People, even those people you have put up on a pedestal, are going to be faulted, weak, egomaniacal, condescending. They're going to be lazy, entitled, short-sighted. They will not be perfect. Far from it. That's fine. Learn from their weaknesses. Of course, learn from their strengths and mimic and copy them in what they do well, but equally as important, learn from their faults. See what not to do. Because you can't control other people. You can't make them what you want them to be. You can't make them who you want them to be. The only person you can control is you. So focus on making yourself who you want to be. Faster, stronger, smarter, more humble, less ego. Discipline your body. Free your mind. Get up early and go. Get after it and you will become the person you want to be. And you become that person through one small decision at a time. Mind control. When people think of the words mind control, they think of people controlling the minds of other people. Not me. I think about controlling my own mind. Sure, we are physical beings, and we must obviously embrace our physicality, but we are 
our minds and I'm not going to go philosophical on what that means and where the you actually is whether it's in a soul or your brain or your heart or some other conjured up place what I do know is this you your mind the thing that is listening and comprehending these words right now that is you and you can control it you are the machine and you can control it people ask me how do I get tougher be tougher how can I wake up early in the morning wake up early how can I work out consistently every day work out consistently every day how can I stop eating sugar stop eating sugar you can even control your emotions people say how can I stop missing that girl or guy or whoever broke up with me stop missing them you have control over your mind you just have to assert it you have to decide that you are going to be in control that you are going to do what you want to do weakness doesn't get a vote laziness doesn't get a vote sadness doesn't get a vote frustration doesn't get a vote negativity doesn't get a vote your temper doesn't get a vote so next time you are feeling weak or lazy or soft or emotional tell those feelings they don't get a vote you are declaring martial law on your mind mind control impose what you want on your brain discipline power positivity will and use that mind control to move your life where you want it to be stronger faster smarter quicker friendlier more helpful more driven and don't let your mind control you control your mind and then you can set it free weakness do I have weakness I am nothing but weakness I'm not naturally strong or fast or flexible I'm certainly not the smartest person in the world I get emotional over stupid things I eat the wrong foods I don't sleep enough I procrastinate and I waste time I care too much about meaningless things and not enough about important things my ego is too big my mind is too small often trapped inside itself now all that being said I have a saying a person's strength is often their biggest weakness but their weaknesses can become strengths me I am weak in all those ways I am weak but I don't accept that I don't accept that I am what I am and that that is what I am doomed to be no I do not accept that I'm fighting 
I'm always fighting. I'm struggling and I'm scraping and kicking and clawing at those weaknesses to change them, to stop them. Some days I win, but some days I don't. But each and every day I get back up and I move forward with my fists clenched toward the battle, toward the struggle. And I fight with everything I've got to overcome those weaknesses and those shortfalls and those flaws as I strive to be just a little bit better today than I was yesterday. Stress. First of all, and I don't mean to minimize the stress that people face, but Imagine what Eugene Sledge went through on Peleliu and the tens of thousands of Marines there who suffered unimaginable horror. Imagine David Hackworth assaulting enemy positions in Korea, wounded over and over again on the line, still going back for more. Imagine the poet-warrior Alan Seeger in World War One, getting ready to go over the top and make his rendezvous with death. Imagine the thousands of warriors who have gone before you, who have stood and faced evil and death. And now imagine you. I used to do this myself while in Iraq facing stress. Yes, we took casualties, and yes, it was awful and heartbreaking and every bit as wretched as I could imagine. But warriors have faced much more. The Battle of the Somme or Gettysburg or the Battle of the Bulge or the Chosen Reservoir. Humans can withstand almost inconceivable stress. And you can too. So that is your first step. Gain perspective. And to do that, you must do something else critical in many situations. Detach. Whatever problems or stress you are experiencing, detach from them. Stress is generally caused by what you can't control. The worst thing about incoming artillery fire is you can't control it. It is happening and you just have to accept it. Don't stress about things you can't control. If the stress is something that you can control and you are not, that is a lack of discipline and a lack of ownership. Get control of it. Impose your will and make it happen. Solve the problem. Relieve the stress. If the stress is something you can't control, embrace it. You can't control it, but how can you look at it from a different angle. How can you use it to your advantage? I couldn't control the chaos of combat. I had to embrace it. I had to figure out a way to take advantage of it. Make it into your ally. So, don't fight the stress, embrace it. Turn it on itself. Use it to make yourself sharper and more alert. Use it to make you think and learn and get better and smarter and more effective. 
Use the stress to make you a better you. Destroyer mode. Where does the switch come from? The overdrive. The berserker mode. The full-on destroyer that will not stop. I think this is something that is learned. And it is a hard lesson, and not everyone gets it. And it is an important lesson, a critical one. It is the thing that allows you to go the extra distance. To dig a little deeper. To push a little harder. To get after it. And it actually takes two opposing forces to bring it to life. It takes both emotion and logic to reach your maximum potential, to really give everything you have to go beyond your limits. Because emotion and logic will both reach their limitations. And when one fails, you need to rely on the other. When it just doesn't make any logical sense to go on, that's when you use your emotion, your anger, your frustration, your fear to push further, to push you to say one thing, I don't stop. And when your feelings are screaming that you have had enough, when you think you are going to break emotionally, override that emotion with concrete logic and willpower that says one thing. I don't stop. Fight weak emotions with the power of logic. Fight the weakness of logic with the power of emotion. And in the balance of those two, you will find the strength and the tenacity and the guts to say to yourself, I don't stop until the end. Something I saw in combat that I later tried to train out of people was the tendency to relax once the primary objective of a mission was complete. I tried to train that out of them because you can't relax until the entire mission is complete. In training, we always attacked the platoons hard on their primary objective, but we always attacked them even harder after they left the main target. Once the platoons were patrolling back to base, when their minds had already gone home and turned off, that's when we would bring it to them hit them from multiple angles with all kinds of mayhem. So they would develop the attitude and the muscle memory to keep going until the end. And even when they got back to base, we would retask them so that they had to begin planning again. It wouldn't stop. That's the mentality I wanted to instill in them. It is never finished. You always have more to do. Another mission another task, another goal. And the enemy is always watching, waiting, looking for that moment of weakness, looking for you to exhale, set down your weapon, and close your eyes even just for a moment. And that's when they attack. So don't be finished be starting be alert 
be ready, be attacking, be relentless. Let the enemy stop. Let the enemy rest. Let the enemy finish. You don't finish. Don't stop. Don't rest. Not until the enemy is completely destroyed. And even then, turn your focus inward on yourself and take the opportunity not to rest, but to make yourself better faster stronger smarter because with those goals nothing is ever finished application of discipline discipline starts with waking up early it really does but that is just the beginning you absolutely have to apply it to things beyond waking up early it is working out every day, making yourself stronger and faster and more flexible and healthier. It is eating the right foods to fuel your system correctly. It is disciplining your emotions so you can make good decisions. It is about having the discipline to control your ego so it doesn't get out of hand and control you. It is about treating people the way you would want to be treated it is about doing the tasks you don't want to do but you know will help you discipline is about facing your fears so you can conquer them discipline means taking the hard road the uphill road to do what is right for you and for others so often the easy path calls us to be weak for that moment to break down another time to give in to desire and short-term gratification discipline will not allow that discipline calls for strength and fortitude and will it won't accept weakness it won't tolerate a breakdown in will discipline can seem like your worst enemy but in reality it is your best friend it will take care of you like nothing else can and it will put you on the path to strength and health and intelligence and happiness and most important discipline will put you on the path to freedom questions knowledge is a powerful tool it is the master of your tools it is where your tools come from because without knowledge there is nothing let's take that one step further knowledge is the ultimate weapon it trumps all other weapons thought is what wins the mind is what wins knowledge is what wins and you gain knowledge by asking questions but which questions should you ask simple question everything don't accept anything as truth question it all when you don't understand a word get out the dictionary when you don't understand a concept break it down until you do when you don't know how something works dig in until you do ask every question that comes to mind that is how you learn and most important, question yourself.
question yourself every day. Ask yourself, who am I? What have I learned? What have I created? What forward progress have I made? Who have I helped? What am I doing to improve myself today to get better, faster, stronger, healthier, smarter? Is this what I want to be? This? Is this all I've got? Is this everything I can give? Is this going to be my life? Do I accept that? Ask yourself those questions, those hard questions, and then answer them truthfully. And realize that all of us, all of us can do better. We can be better. And it starts when you begin to ask those questions. So ask the hard questions of yourself and find the path to progress and discipline and to freedom inside the answers. Fight. Go down swinging. And I'll tell you, if you fight with all you have, more often than not, you won't go down at all. You will win. But you have to make that attitude a part of your everyday life. Do the extra repetition. Run the extra mile. Go the extra round. Make the right choices. Give the full measure. Make yourself stronger mentally and physically. Stand and fight. Fight against weakness, against fear, against time, and against decay. Fight back. Go down swinging. Give every day everything you've got. And when you face a challenge, even something you don't believe you can win or a situation where you know you cannot win, remember this, you have nothing to lose. So, stand up. Go forward. Go out in a blaze of glory, fighting with everything you've got, every ounce of energy, every bead of sweat, every drop of blood until your last breath. And then, and only then, can you stand down. Put down your sword and your shield and rest in peace. Compromise. When working with other people in dynamic situations and relationships and deals, a person, especially a leader, must compromise. Finding the common ground between teams, merging different approaches to the same problem, bridging personalities with people who might not get along, reaching agreements in courses of action, all of these require compromise. And in many cases, a failure to compromise is a failure to succeed. But those are external compromises with other people, other humans that have their own personalities and ethos and issues. And compromise is needed to unify. So to work with them, compromise is a must. But internally, it's different. With myself, I have to hold the line. There are areas within myself where I cannot compromise. 
I am going to work hard. I am going to train hard. I am going to improve myself. I am not going to rest on my laurels. I'm going to own my mistakes and confront them. I am going to face my demons. I'm not going to give up or give out or give in. I am going to stand. I am going to maintain my self-discipline. And on those points, there will be no compromise. Not now. Not ever. Default aggressive. Proactive and aggressive are similar, and they are both good. You certainly have to be proactive in the world. You want to be dictating what happens, not responding to it. And yes, that means creating or controlling a situation as much as you can. But being aggressive, that means you are ready to attack. As I always point out, this doesn't mean you walk around with your chest puffed out, ready to bang heads with everyone around you. It doesn't mean you confront people physically or mentally head on without a tactically superior plan. It doesn't mean you go straight forward into conflict without thought and without reason. It doesn't mean you engage in attrition warfare. No, that is almost never smart. What it does mean is that you are going to get after it. You are going to move fast. You are going to think fast. You are going to outthink and outmaneuver the enemy. If I think the enemy is going to attack me, I'm going to attack them first. If I think they are going to seize a piece of terrain, I am going to be there waiting for them. If I think the enemy is going to flank me, too late, I'm already flanking them. I don't view aggression as an outward attitude. I view aggression as an internal character trait, a fire in your mind that says, I am going to win. I am going to battle and I am going to fight and I am going to use every tool I have to crush my enemy. And that tool might be fists, but it might be guile. It might be a frontal attack, but it might be a flanking maneuver. It might be an undeniable display of force, but it also might be a subtle political maneuver. And that is what aggression is to me, the unstoppable fighting spirit, the drive, the burning desire to achieve mission success using every possible tool, asset, and strategy, and tactic to bring about victory. It is the will to win. And if that kind of internal, relentless aggression is your default mode, you will win. Nature versus nurture. What is more important, nature or nurture? In my opinion, neither. I have seen people from every stratum of life. In the military, I worked with every type of person. Ivy League kids with silver spoons, former gang bangers, hood rats, prep school kids, kids from blue collar families, kids from strong families, and kids with no families, kids who were pampered, 
and kids who were abused and everything in between everything and with all those different types of people there were good and bad successful and unsuccessful and in working with businesses I see the same thing people from every walk of life from the bottom to the top and I have seen every type of person be successful so to me it is not about nature or nurture it is about choice the people who are successful decide they are going to be successful they make that choice and they make other choices they decide to study hard they decide to work hard they decide to be the first person to get to work and the last to go home they decide they're gonna take on the hard jobs take on the challenges they decide they're going to lead when no one else will they choose who they are going to hang around and they choose who they will emulate they choose to become who they want to become they aren't inhibited by nature or nurture they overcome both then I'll tell you something else it is never too late to make that choice you are never too old to decide where you are going to focus your efforts and push to make the most out of every situation so think not about what you've been through and where you were think about where you are going and choose choose to make yourself smarter and stronger and healthier choose to work out and study and eat good food and keep your mind clean don't let nature or nurture make you choose to make yourself fear of failure fear of failure can keep you from taking risk it can leave you sitting there paralyzed into not taking action and that is obviously bad but I don't want you to overcome fear of failure I want you to be afraid of failure fear of failure is good fear of failure will keep you up at night planning rehearsing going over contingencies fear of failure will keep you training hard fear of failure will stop you from cutting corners fear of failure will keep you working thinking striving and relentlessly trying to be more prepared for battle so I want you to be afraid of failing I fear failure but more important I want you to be horrified terrified of sitting on the sidelines and doing nothing that is what I want you to be afraid of waking up in six days or six weeks or six years or 60 years and being no closer to your goal you've made no progress that is the horror that is the nightmare that is what you really need to be afraid of being stagnant so get up and go take the risk take the gamble take the first step take action 
and don't let another day slip by the war path the path the war path a path of war the actual definition of war path means moving toward a battle a fight toward war and that is what I am doing and what I have always been doing whether it was the actual war against our nation's enemies or the war against my own weaknesses that is what I am doing preparing sharpening my sword honing my skills maintaining the unmitigated daily discipline in all things and the war path is a path it's a route it leads somewhere where does it lead yes it can lead to war and that is fine because I am ready I am waiting but the war might not come and that is okay because the war path is also a war against weakness and so it leads to strength it is a war against ignorance and so it leads to knowledge it is a war against confusion and so it delivers understanding then the war path leads to control and to ownership of your life that is the war path the path of fire and adversity the path of blood and sweat and suffering the war path is the interminable path of discipline which is why it leads to freedom and beyond that in the end the war path leads to peace sugar-coated lies yes I know I know those donuts are tempting all those colorful sprinkles the cream filling the glaze the glorious glaze and on top of all that they're free someone brought them in and just left them here right here right in front of me surely this is some kind of sign some kind of miracle right I mean food is food and if it's free I pretty much need to eat it it would be ungrateful for me to say no right right wrong dead wrong those donuts aren't food they are poison same with chocolate chip cookies the double dutch chocolate cake the can of soda the bag of potato chips and the pretzel wrapped hot dogs all that junk isn't food it doesn't fuel you it kills you it literally kills you it isn't going to make you stronger faster healthier smarter or better it's going to do the opposite and you know this you know you do not need any of that junk but it's the only choice wrong unless you have gone an extended period of time without food you don't need to eat and you definitely don't need to eat that poison you don't need to eat you don't even know what hungry is humans can go 30 days without food you can make it 
So when those foods are tempting you, calling your name, and enticing you with their sugar-coated lies, get angry. Get aggressive. Stand your ground in the battle and fight by saying no. Hold the line. Hold the line for your health, your mental toughness, and exercise your will, which I promise is stronger than the will of a donut, if you want it to be. So hold the line. Bad instincts. There is one instinct you need to be wary of, one that you must fight. This one is a liar. This one is a saboteur, a backbiter. And like the devil himself, he's a shapeshifter. He will disguise himself, make you think that he has got your best interests in mind, but he doesn't. This is the instinct that says, you've had enough. You've given it your best shot. You can stand down. You can back off. You can take a knee. This is the instinct that says, you can rest now. Do not listen. Because that instinct is a liar and wants to bring you down. You see, this instinct is a defense mechanism for your ego. It gives you an out. A place to run to, a place of sympathy and amnesty where all can be forgiven. Where failures gather together in comfort and drown their sorrows in lies and deception. They tell each other and they tell you, you did the best you could. And the deck was stacked against you and it's not your fault. And so they tell you, it's okay to stop. It's okay to settle. It's okay to give up. And that is the instinct you need to fight, to push back, to smash into the ground. Do not take the easy way out. Do not give up based on instinct. If you are forced to stand down to retreat so you can rebuild and reattack, so be it. But make that decision based on logic, not on the instinct of surrender and defeat. Destroy that instinct. Replace it with the instinct that says, get up, go, fight on. Make that your fundamental reaction to adversity. Make that your gut instinct. And you will overcome anything that stands in your path. Not feeling it. How do I handle those days when I'm just not feeling it? Those days when I'm tired or worn out or just sick of the grind? What do I do on those days? I go anyway. I get it done. Even if I'm just going through the motions, I go through the motions. Don't really want to work out? I work out. Don't really want to hammer on a project, I hammer on a project. Don't really want to get up and get out of bed, I get up and get out of bed. Now, these could be signals that you need some time off, and those signals might be right. But, don't take today off. 
wait until tomorrow. Don't give in to the immediate gratification that is whispering in your ear. Shut that down. Do not listen. Instead, go through the motions. Lift the weights, sprint the hill, work on the projects, get out of bed. I don't like procrastination, but if you feel like you need a break, that is the one thing you should procrastinate. Taking a break is the one thing I put off until tomorrow. And if, when tomorrow comes, you still feel like you need a rest or you need to take a break, then go ahead, take it. But chances are, you won't. You won't need that rest. Chances are you will realize that the desire to rest was just weakness. It was the desire to take the path of least resistance, the downhill path, the downward path. And by going through the motions, you overcame that weakness. You stayed on the righteous path, the disciplined path. You stayed on the war path, right where you know you belong. Regret, regret, the things I could have done differently or learned sooner. There's so much knowledge out there, so much information, so many ways to get better. And we make so many mistakes. We are the product of our mistakes. And oftentimes the lesson is sitting in front of our face, there to be learned, but we miss it. Oh, we don't pay attention to it. Oh, we think we know better until it punches us in the face. The most important thing to learn is that we have so much to learn. We all do. And we can learn from school and people and experience and life. But you have to process the information, absorb it. You have to accept it. You have to open your mind, free your mind, so that you can learn and make real progress. Are there things I regret and things I wish I had done differently? Of course. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and looking back, who wouldn't want to take another go at something and improve it by doing it again? And then why not do it again and again and again? Who wouldn't want to do things over until you have it perfect? But the fact is, you don't get that chance. You get one shot. We get one shot at this gig right here. Life. One life, that's all we've got. And the most important thing to understand about regret is that in and of itself, regret is worthless. It does nothing for you. In fact, the only valuable thing in regret is the lesson you learned, the knowledge you gained. But walking around filled with regret gets you nothing. So learn and move on. Don't let regret beat you down. Don't be a slave to regret. No, let it teach you. Let it make you better. Let the fear of regret fuel you to take action today, now. Take action to become a person not filled with regret, but a person filled with knowledge and strength and power and life. Focus. In combat, focus comes pretty easily because the battle is right in front of your face. You have no choice but to focus. 
but sometimes in day-to-day life you can lose track of the long-term goal it fades from your vision it slips from your mind wrong I want that long-term goal to be so embedded in my mind that I never lose sight of it ever and the little tasks and projects and short-term goals that you tackle need to lead towards strategic victory winning the long war but we want results now we want the shortcut to the winners podium we need instant gratification and when we don't get the short-term glory sometimes we lose sight of those long-term goals they fade we lose focus so we stop the daily tasks and the daily disciplines that will allow us to achieve our goals and a day slips by and then another day then a day turns into a week and a week into a year and you look up in six weeks or six months or six years and you've made no progress none you never moved in fact you might be even further from your goal than you were when you started you might have gone backward why why did you let that happen because you lost sight of it you lost sight of the long-term goal and it faded it faded from memory and the passion dried up and you began to rationalize maybe I can't maybe I don't really want to maybe this goal isn't for me and so you give up you let it go and you settle you settle for the status quo you settle for the easy road you settle for a well no don't do that embed that long-term goal in your mind burn it into your soul think about it write about it talk about it hang it up on your wall but most important do something about it every day every day do something that moves you toward that goal that keeps that goal alive and in sight and in focus however small or insignificant that step might seem take it do it make it happen because that goal isn't going to achieve itself it is all on you hesitation between the acting of a dreadful thing and the first motion all the interim is like a phantasma or a hideous dream that is Brutus from Shakespeare's Julius Caesar who in the play is plotting to kill Caesar someone he was loyal to and Shakespeare the master of understanding human nature captures what that feels like this is how Shakespeare's words would translate today between the acting of a dreadful thing between the moment when you are waiting to do something that you don't want to do and the first motion and the moment when you initiate the action all the interim the whole time you are waiting to take that action 
is like a phantasma or a hideous dream, is like an evil specter, an apparition, a nightmare. So the battle, the struggle, the hesitation takes place in that moment. That moment when we must step into the unknown. That moment filled with fear and horror. And that fear is what causes hesitation and hesitation causes defeat. Hesitation is the enemy. Hesitation allows the moment to pass, the opportunity to be lost, the enemy to get the upper hand. Hesitation turns into cowardice. It stops us from moving forward, from taking initiative, from executing what we know we must. Hesitation defeats us. So we must defeat it. To win, all you have to do is overcome that moment. The waiting, the hesitation. And to do that, all you have to do is go, move, take the action, get out of bed, get your feet on the ground, step forward. Do not hesitate, do not wait, go forward and win. Draw fire. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. I don't know why. Life is not fair. And that is the reality. Disease and accidents don't care if their victim is a good person. They have no reason, no justification, and no mercy. And even the best person you know can end up in the clutches of evil. And you cannot stop it. So, what do you do? Are you going to get angry? Frustrated? Are you going to lash out at people? Who are you going to lash out at? Are you going to start going down the spiral of negativity? Are you going to let the horrible situation dictate the way you feel and the way you handle it? Are you going to fall over, fall down, fall apart? Or are you going to lead? Are you going to face this issue with courage and resolution? I say lead. Lead. Step up. Be the one who people look to. Absorb the impact and the negativity. Draw fire. Yes, draw fire. That's when a member of a platoon, for tactical reasons, steps into the open to draw enemy fire. Maybe to give another part of the team a chance to move. Maybe to distract the enemy. Maybe to help the platoon locate the enemy. But that's what I say. Draw fire. Bring that pain to me. I can handle it when others cannot. When bad things are happening, I will be the one good thing standing tall that can be relied upon. I will bolster those around me and the positive attitude will spread and we will fight and in fighting we will win. If not the battle and if not the war, we will win because our spirit will never surrender. And that is the ultimate victory to hold your head high and even in the face of inescapable defeat to stand and fight.
good? How do I deal with setbacks, failures, delays, defeats, or other disasters? I actually have a fairly simple way of dealing with these situations summed up in one word. Good. This is something that one of my direct subordinates, one of the guys who worked for me, a guy who became one of my best friends, pointed out. He'd pull me aside with some major problem or some issue that was going on, and he'd say, boss, we got this thing, this situation, and it's going terribly wrong. I would look at him, and I'd say, good. And finally, one day he was telling me about something that was going off the rails. And as soon as he finished explaining it to me, he said, I already know what you're going to say. And I asked, what am I going to say? And he said, you're going to say good. And he continued, that's what you always say. When something is wrong or going bad, you just look at me and say good. And I say, well, I mean it because that is how I operate. So I explained to him that when things are going bad, there's going to be some good that will come from it. Oh, mission got canceled? Good. We can focus on another one. Didn't get the new high-speed gear we wanted? Good. We can keep it simple. Didn't get promoted? Good. More time to get better. Didn't get funded? Good. We own more of the company. Didn't get the job you wanted? Good. Go out, gain more experience, build a better resume. Got injured? Good. Needed a break from training. Got tapped out? Good. It's better to tap out in training than to tap out on the street. Got beat? Good. We learned. Unexpected problems? Good. We have an opportunity to figure out a solution. That's it. When things are going bad, don't get all bummed out, don't get startled, don't get frustrated. No. Just look at the issue and say, good. Now, I don't mean to say something trite. I'm not trying to sound like Mr. Smiley positive guy. That guy ignores the hard truth. That guy thinks a positive attitude will solve problems. It won't. But neither will dwelling on the problem. No, accept reality, but focus on the solution. Take that issue, take that setback, take that problem and turn it into something good. Go forward. And if you are part of a team, that attitude will spread throughout. And finally, if you can say the word good, then guess what? It means you're still alive. It means you're still breathing. And if you're still breathing, that means you've still got some fight left in you. So get up, dust off, reload, recalibrate, re-engage, and go out on the attack. Death. But how does good apply to the worst of losses? The death of a loved one. It's easy to think that there's nothing good in death. But then I remember the people I have lost throughout my life. The memories of them, the experiences, the fun, their unique personalities, and everything they gave me. Not only in their life, but in their death. What their life taught me, and what their death taught me. The mark they have left on me. 
and I realized there is good even in death there is good first of all I was lucky to have had that person in my life even if it was only for a short time too short a time at least I got that those precious moments those unforgettable memories at least I got those and got to experience those times to know the beauty of their personality their attitude their outlook on the world they were all unique and I am thankful for the opportunity I had to interact with them now comes death Death is horrible and death is wretched and death is cruel and death isn't fair and I don't know why the best people seem to be taken from us first death is also inescapable there is no way out no one gets out alive death is part of life like the contrast between the darkness and the light without death there is no life and the people that I have lost they taught me that they taught me how precious life is how blessed we are to have every day to learn to grow to laugh to live to live to live every day with purpose and passion to wake up in the morning and be thankful thankful for that morning thankful for that opportunity to go into the world and live live for them for those who don't have the opportunity for those who were stolen away by death's cruel hand for them I will live I will revere their memory and I will live so let us cry no more let us mourn no more let us remember but let us not dwell instead let us laugh and love and let us embrace and venerate everything that life is and every opportunity it gives us let us live for those who live no more let us live to honor them every day this isn't a part-time gig this isn't punch the clock and go home for the day you don't get weekends off no here there's no such thing as a weekend this is an everyday gig every day is a Monday and you might not like that me I love it to me every day is a beginning a new day a new week a new shot at life an opportunity to come out of the gate like a man possessed and attack the day without mercy today 
I'm taking scalps. I'm putting the pressure on. I'm the aggressor. I'm on the attack. And of course, I will get tired. I will get beat up. I'll get knocked down and drained. And I will have some bad days. But I will not stop. No more. No more. No more. No more excuses. No more, I'll start tomorrow. No more, just this once. No more accepting the shortfalls of my own will. No more taking the easy road. No more bowing down to whatever unhealthy or unproductive thoughts float through my mind. No. No more. No more waiting for the perfect moment. And no more indecision. And no more lies. No more weakness. No. No more. Now is the time for strength. And through strength and through will and through unwavering discipline, I will become what I want to be. I will become who I want to be. And then, and only then, will I rest and say, no more. Staying motivated. Don't worry about motivation. Motivation is fickle. It comes and goes. It is unreliable, and when you are counting on motivation to get your goals accomplished, you will likely fall short. So don't expect to be motivated every day to get out there and make things happen. You won't be. Don't count on motivation. Count on discipline. You know what you have to do. So make yourself do it. You do that with discipline. Everyone wants some magic pill, some life hack that eliminates the need to do the work, but that does not exist. No. You have to do the work. You've got to hold the line. You've got to make it happen. So dig in. Find the discipline. Be the discipline. And accomplish. That's it. Me versus me. There are people in the world who have skills and strength and talent that I will never have. Never. These notions that you can be whatever you want to be as long as you want it bad enough are not true. They're fairy tales. We all have limitations. I don't have the right genes to be an Olympic weightlifter. I don't have the right genetics to be an Olympic sprinter or gymnast. Sure, if I trained my whole life, perhaps I could have become fairly decent in those sports, but the best in the world, no. I simply do not have the DNA to be the best in the world in those categories. But what does that mean? Does that mean I give up? Does that mean I quit? Of course not, not at all. It means that I'm going to try to be the best that I can be, the strongest, the fastest, the smartest human being that I can become. That is what I'm going to go for. 
And it doesn't matter that I will not be better than others when I compare myself to them. No. I will look at others who do achieve greatness in a category, and I will say, look at what is possible. How close can I get to that greatness? How close can I get to that glory? But my glory doesn't happen in front of a crowd. It doesn't happen in a stadium or on a stage. There are no medals handed out. It happens in the darkness of the early morning, in solitude, where I try. And I try, and I try again, with everything I have to be the best that I can possibly be, better than I was yesterday, better than people thought I could be, better than I thought I could be, faster and stronger and smarter then claim one victory that no one can ever take away from me, ever. A victory that is earned every single day. A victory of determination and will and discipline. A victory achieved because I will not stop. Remain vigilant. It wasn't in a war it wasn't in a battle it isn't in a melee of fire and destruction that most of us succumb to weakness we are taken apart slowly convinced to take an easier path enticed by comfort most of us aren't defeated in one decisive battle we are defeated one tiny seemingly insignificant surrender at a time that chips away at who we should really be it isn't that you wake up one day and decide that's it i'm going to be weak no it is a slow incremental process it chips away at our will it chips away at our discipline we sleep in a little later we miss a workout then another we start to eat what we shouldn't eat and drink what we shouldn't drink and without realizing it one day you wake up and you've become something that you never would have allowed instead of strong you are weak instead of disciplined you are disorganized and lost instead of moving forward and progressing you are moving backward and decaying and those things happen without you seeing them without you recognizing them so you have to be vigilant you have to be on guard you have to hold the line on the seemingly insignificant little things things that shouldn't matter but things that do fear fear is normal every person feels fear at some point what should you do step step take the step step aggressively toward your fear that is the step into bravery we are scared of what we don't know and there is but one way to confront that fear step go and that simple action this simple attitude answers so many questions how do you get to the gym every day step go how do you change your diet step go how do you overcome fear of failure or fear of success or fear of fear itself step go 
How do you face the fear of the unknown? Step. Go. Don't wait anymore. Don't think anymore. Don't plan anymore. Don't contemplate anymore. Don't make any more excuses or justifications. Don't rationalize anything else. No, 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 no. Instead, be aggressive. Take action now. And the first action you need to take, the first step you need to take, the first step you need to take is just that. Step. Step. Go. Now. The darkness. The sun doesn't shine every day. The storms will come. There are times when the nights will be long and dark and you will be alone. There will be times when the darkness seems to consume everything. But don't let it consume you. Don't let it consume you. Even in the darkest times, even in the strongest storms, even when the sun is blotted out and the world is falling apart, the darkness cannot extinguish your light. You. Your will. Your determination. No matter what is happening, no matter how hard the fight is, as long as you keep fighting, you win. Only surrender is defeat. Only quitting is the end. Because the darkness only wins if you let it. Do not let the darkness win. Fight. Fight on. To fight against the darkness is to win. So fight on. Overwhelmed. Yes, life can be overwhelming. That's the way life works. It is testing you. It is going to throw problems at you and it is going to throw them at you all at the same time. This is the way life works, Murphy's Law. It is easy to feel beaten when you're faced with all those problems at once. But let me tell you, that does not mean give up fighting. In fact, it means the opposite. It is time for you to fight harder. To dig in. To go on the war path. To assess what the problems are and decide which one you are going to attack first. Then, get started. Attack. And listen, it won't be easy. In fact, it will be hard. Life is hard. That's what life is. And these challenges that you face, they are going to do their best to take you down. Do not let them. Stand up. Dig in. Line up those problems and confront them, face them, fight them. Do not let them bring you down. Instead, let these challenges raise you up. Let them elevate you. Let their demands and their trials make you stronger. Let the adversity you face today turn you into a better person tomorrow. So in the future, you look back at these struggles and you say to them, thank you. You made me better. 
negative talk from negative people. The old classic. What do you do about the negative person talking behind your back and trying to bring you down? Sure, you can confront them and join them in their little game. You can give them the satisfaction of knowing that they got in your head. You can turn your life into a grade school gossip hall. Of course, there are times, unfortunately, that you have to engage with people like this. You may have to set the record straight on a serious allegation. You may have to challenge statements that might be damaging to the team or the mission. And when you do have to engage, do it professionally. Say something like, I heard you had some pointers for me about how I'm doing my job. I'd love to get your feedback so I can tighten up my game. A statement like that will likely diffuse the scenario. The person will know that there are informants who will likely tell you what is going on. And that will likely stifle the situation. But let me tell you what my preferred methodology is for this situation. It is simple. Ignore and outperform. Yes, while you're over there watching me and talking about me, I'm working. I'm working hard. I'm taking things to the next level. You keep gossiping, I'll keep working. You keep talking smack, I'll keep working. You keep chattering about things, I'll keep working. You keep focusing on what everyone else is doing wrong, I'll keep focusing on what I can do right. And when you finally look around at where you are and where I am, you will realize you have nothing to talk smack about because you will lose and I will win. And this applies to when people are playing office politics or forming their cliques or working their personal agendas. Of course, sometimes you have to play those games too. But when dealing with people like this, let your first course of action and the fundamental core of how you handle it be very clear and very direct. Outwork and outperform every last one of them. Hold the line. Instead of going backward, instead of decaying, get stronger, get better, grow and learn and develop and live. Live in defiance of the weakness and in rebellion against the decay. Fight them as they creep in with their offers of instant gratification and immediate rewards. Fight them for every inch they try to take. Do not surrender any ground ever. Begin. This is where it begins. In the darkness. Before the sun and the birds and the world every day. When the alarm sounds, it's time. Rise. Despite fatigue and soreness, curse the warmth of the bed. Curse the comfort of the pillow. Fight the temptation of weakness. Get up and go. Do it quickly, without thought. Do not reason with weakness. You cannot. You must only take action. Get up and go. Engage. Engage. Weakness is strong. I must be stronger. I must crush it into submission through force of will. 
So I savage the body. I push and pull and fight against gravity. I fight against fatigue and soreness and the weakness that says, give in. I will not give in. I will fight. Laughter wins. Sure, there is darkness everywhere and I have seen my share. But that is not where I live my life at all. In fact, the opposite is true. I'm not wandering around suffering in despair. No, I'm having fun. Fun. I'm laughing. I'm joking. I'm clowning around making fun of everything and everyone, especially of myself. I'm an easy target to poke fun at and I'm good with that. Because, sure, life is tough but it gets a lot easier when you're laughing at it. So despite the suffering, in fact, to spite the suffering, to spite the hardship, to spite the challenges, laugh at them all. They can't stand it when you do. And they all get easier. Yes, laugh at them all. Laughter wins. Part two, actions, physical training, getting after it, physical training. There are all kinds of benefits from physical training. You will be healthier. This is a fact. By working out, you will increase your endorphins, testosterone, growth hormones, cardiac volume, insulin sensitivity, and natural killer cells. Those changes will help prevent or treat the following health issues, high blood pressure, obesity, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, insomnia, and depression. Boom. Still not convinced? Working out will make you smarter. Yes, smarter. It improves blood flow to the brain. It boosts growth hormones that promote growth of new nerve cells. It improves synaptic plasticity, the ability for neurons to send and receive messages. It releases brain chemicals that help cognition, like dopamine, glutamate, norepinephrine, and serotonin. It also boosts the production of brain-derived neurotropic factor, a protein that helps with mental processes. But don't just take my word for it. Go. Do. Get some exercise done and pay attention to your mental state. You will feel more aware, sharper, and smarter. This is real. Stress, good and bad. Stress is good and bad. In order to improve, we need stress. We need to push the body and the mind in order to get better. One of our main physical reactions to stress is the release of the hormone cortisol into the body. It has a multitude of effects, including making glucose available to the brain, generating energy from stored reserves, and focusing energy on immediate threats rather than less urgent needs. It also raises blood pressure to optimize the flow of blood throughout the body. But stress can also be bad. If we're under too much stress and cortisol is being released into the body too often, it begins to have negative effects, like a car running in the red for extended periods of time. 
When cortisol levels remain consistently high, the immune system can become repressed, increasing blood pressure and causing hypertension, a sustained high blood pressure that causes damage to the heart and blood vessels. It can also encourage fat deposits and even cause some level of bone loss. Exercise is a form of stress and does cause the release of cortisol. However, just as exercise conditions the muscles and the heart, it also conditions the body to react properly to the release of cortisol and trains the body to keep cortisol levels balanced. Excessive regular release of cortisol can also be a significant factor in overtraining. When we push the body too hard, excessive cortisol leads to fatigue and a drop in performance. So you have to be careful not to stress the body and mind too much. But again, you must stress the body and mind some in order to improve. When. The biggest excuse not to work out is lack of time. Something always comes up. But there is one time of day that no one can take away from you pre-dawn. The military has a term, stand to. It means get up early and be ready for enemy attack. It has been a standard practice for many wars. For instance, in World War I, each man was expected to be awake well before first light, standing on the trench fire step, rifle loaded, bayonet fixed, ready to repel an attack. Further back in history, from Rogers Rangers standing orders, all hands shall be awake, alert, and ready for action before dawn. Dawns when the French and Indians like to attack. So, get up before the sun. Be ready to attack. Yes, that means get up early. This will be hard at first, but it will become normal. And once you are accustomed to it, early rising is guaranteed to make your day better. So get after it psychological edge there are a slew of psychological advantages that come from early morning physical training first there is a psychological win over the enemy knowing that you are working harder than your adversaries gives you an advantage it gives you confidence that you can overcome them in battle another advantage to waking up early and working out hard is that it demands discipline to do both now, some scientists have claimed that discipline dissipates the more it is used, that willpower is a finite resource that is reduced every time it is used during the day. This is wrong. That does not happen. To the contrary, I believe and studies have also shown that discipline and willpower do not go down as they are called into action. They actually get stronger. This is obvious if you actually try the experiment yourself. Before you go to bed, plan what workout you're going to do in the morning. Stage your workout clothes so you don't even have to think when you get up. Write down a list of things you need to accomplish the next day. Set your alarm clock for 4.30 a.m. and go to sleep. When the alarm clock goes off, get up. Put on your 
pre-staged clothes. Brush your teeth and go get your workout on hard. Get done, shower, get dressed, and begin to crush your list of tasks for the day. When it is time for breakfast, see what happens. You won't want to eat junk. You won't want that disgusting donut. You will want some eggs and bacon, and that will happen at lunch, too. You are feeling good, energized. You don't want to eat the worthless calories of pizza or french fries. You want fuel, good fuel to rebuild your body, clean fuel that keeps your mind sharp. When you are on the path, you want to stay on the path. Unfortunately, the opposite is also true. Once you step off the path, you tend to stray far. When you don't prepare what you need to do the next day, when you sleep in and then skip your workout and you don't start attacking the tasks that you have because you didn't write them down the night before, that is when you make bad decisions. That is when your will and discipline fail. You figure you might as well have that donut for breakfast and once you've done that, you might as well put down four or five pieces of pizza for lunch. It doesn't matter anymore. You're off the path and it is a disaster. Your will didn't break. It never showed up in the first place. So, get on the path of discipline and stay on the path. Discipline begets discipline. Will propagates more will. Hold the line across the line and victory will be yours. Sleep. Sleep is a necessity. Humans need sleep. Failure to get enough sleep has serious side effects. Lack of sleep can cause negative hormonal changes, interfere with the metabolizing of glucose, increase blood pressure, and suppress the immune system. Less sleep also means less human growth hormone in your body, which means less muscle and weaker bones. Mentally, the brain is impacted as the ability to pay attention and concentrate begins to diminish and problem solving and basic reasoning become less acute. Furthermore, over an extended period, there are psychological effects like paranoia and even hallucinations. But how much sleep is enough? Different people need different amounts of sleep. Newborns can sleep up to 17 hours a day. Toddlers sleep up to 12 hours a day. As people grow older, less sleep is required. Teens generally need 8 to 10 hours, and by the time people are full adults, 8 hours becomes the standard, though the actual number is between 7 and 9 hours depending on the individual. Some people genetically need even less sleep than that, but those people are rare. I am one of those people, but it isn't only genetics. You can also sleep less and fall asleep faster if you are in good physical condition, eating clean, and have a clear mind. For me, the better the condition I'm in and the cleaner I eat, the more quickly I will fall asleep and the less sleep I need. So while I do have short sleep genetics on my side, equally important is that I stay healthy and eat clean. And finally, I choose not to sleep in. 
I don't give in to the temptation of the warm blankets and soft pillow. I mobilize the will to get me out of bed and get into the game. Obviously, I'm an advocate of waking up early. But since sleep must be a priority to maintain health, how can we get enough sleep and still wake up early? The answer is simple. Go to bed earlier. Going to bed at 10 p.m. and waking up at 5 a.m. gets you a solid seven hours. Go to bed at 9.55 p.m. and you can get up at 4.55 a.m., still get your seven hours, and be up before the enemy. Try it. If you get up and get out of bed at 4.55, a vast majority of the world is still sleeping. You aren't. You are up getting after it. The world is yours when you are up before the enemy. There's no traffic. The gym is empty. There is no one to distract you or call you or send you some stupid text about something you don't care about. It's just you. So go to bed early and wake up early. People constantly ask me for the secret of getting up early. I tell them it is simple. Set your alarm clock and get out of bed when it goes off. That's it. Is it easy? No. Everyone likes that warm bed. Everyone needs just five more minutes of slumber in the morning. So they hit snooze. They roll over. They go back to sleep. No. Get up and get going. And one thing that will help you do that is going to bed earlier, which can be at least as hard, if not harder, than waking up. Falling asleep. Yes, it can be just as hard for some people to go to sleep early as it is to wake up, if not harder. So here are some steps to help that. Number one, get tired. Yes, get tired tired. If you are not active throughout the day, you won't be tired. Getting a hard workout in the early morning will not only energize you during the day, but will also make you fall asleep faster at night. Getting a morning workout and another workout at lunch or after work will also get you tired. Unfortunately, you may find that working out just prior to going to bed will keep you awake. So try not to work out any closer than two hours before you want to sleep. Number two, turn off the computer. Turn off the smartphone. Stop checking social media and stop watching one more YouTube video. Sure, there is some science that says that the light from the computer and phone screens tricks your mind into thinking it is daylight and time to get up. But on top of that, The internet is filled with professionals that create content with the sole purpose of getting you to click on it. Yes, clickbait is real. And just like a bait used in fishing, it is a trick to get you hooked. So don't. Don't click it. You will get nothing positive from it at all. Number three. Read. If your mind is still active when you reach your bedtime, that's okay. Get into bed and get a book and start reading. Reading is relaxing. It settles your mind and it also makes you smarter. So do it. And if the book you are reading is too good and makes you want to stay up and read more simple, don't read that book. Read a boring one. An educational one, but a boring one. That 
will send you to sleep number four most important the key to getting to sleep early is getting up early no it might not help you tonight but tomorrow night it will if you need seven full hours of sleep and you want to get up at 4 30 a.m that means you need to go to bed at 9 30 p.m but it can be hard to force yourself to sleep at 9 30 so you stay up until 11 30 you should still get up at 4.30. Yes, that will only be five hours of sleep, and yes, you will likely feel tired throughout the day, which is actually good, because at the end of the day, you want to be tired. Now you can go to bed at 9.30. You are now on track. Number five, do it every day. People ask me if I still get up early on the weekends, yes for a bunch of reasons obviously the weekend is only two days so i want to get up and take advantage of it i get up early get my workout done and complete any must do tasks as quickly as possible that allows for time to relax and enjoy without things hanging over your head the other reason i wake up early on weekends is to keep my sleep pattern consistent if I sleep into 5.30 or 6 a.m. on a Saturday, I will likely stay awake a couple extra hours on Saturday night, which now has me sleeping in until 7 on Sunday, which now has me awake even later on Sunday night, which means when I go back to waking up at 4.30 on Monday, I haven't gotten the sleep that I need. So don't break the cycle. Get up early every day. If you need extra sleep, take a power nap. Power naps are real. If you are feeling tired, they can be a lifesaver. And if you are feeling tired due to lack of sleep, they can be very powerful. I have a technique for power naps that is a combination of two things I learned. The first was in high school. My anatomy and physiology teacher was a high energy, passionate teacher. But if you went into his classroom during lunch, you would find him sitting in a chair with his feet elevated on the lab table, sleeping. He did it just about every day. One day I asked him about it. He said his goal was to elevate his feet above his heart and sleep for 10 to 15 minutes before he ate his lunch. He said the nap gave him energy. Elevating his feet above his heart took the strain off the circulatory system in his lower body and helped move some of the blood that might have pooled in his feet and legs. I began to try it occasionally and it certainly felt good, but I really noticed it when I got to BUDS, the basic SEAL training course. Obviously, we were operating in a fairly sleep-deprived environment there on an almost daily basis, and the schedule was very tight going from evolution to evolution throughout the day on a strict timeline. But there were some holes in the schedule, usually 10 to 15 minutes a couple of times a day for us to prepare for our next evolution and use the bathroom. During those breaks, if I got the chance, I would lie down on the floor, put my feet up on my bed, set my alarm clock for six to eight minutes, and sleep. Of course, I was tired, so I would fall asleep very quickly, and when the alarm would go off, I would wake up and feel completely refreshed. It was awesome. When I got to the SEAL teams, I used the same technique and found it especially helpful during long patrols in the field. When we formed a perimeter for a break, and I wasn't on security, I would immediately elevate my feet and take a power nap. The effects were even more obvious since on a patrol, we were on our feet for many hours carrying a heavy load. 
I still use this effective technique when I am overly tired. Warning. Be careful about letting your six to eight minute nap turn into a two hour slumber. If you do this, you will have trouble falling asleep at night, which leads to trouble waking up in the morning. That means there's a higher chance you will fall off the early morning schedule. The workouts. Everyone wants to know what should a workout actually consist of. And first of all, let me say this. The most important thing to do is something, anything. Walk, jog, calisthenics, swim, lift some weights, hike, stretch, do burpees, play a game of basketball, or go get on the jujitsu mat. Some people aren't sure what to do for a workout. That is often just an excuse. Exercise doesn't need to be some complex, multi-level, multi-dimensional, scientifically proven methodology, but it does need to be something. Once you begin doing something, it is a good idea to track it. Recording, weights, repetitions, and times is useful. The records allow you to track progress. They can serve as goals. They also let you know when you're overtraining but it is important to pay attention to your state at the end of a workout. The more experienced you become at working out, the easier this is. You will know when to push. You will know that there are days to hold back. My workouts are divided into some broad types of movements. Pull, push, lift, squat. In addition to those, the workouts focus working the gut and metabolic conditioning, or METCON. For the purposes of this field manual, I have established three basic levels of exercises, beginner, intermediate, advanced. This is only a guide. As you become stronger, more experienced, and more in tune with your body and your desired outcomes, make adjustments. Read and learn. Try new systems. Learn new exercises. Try new movements and new sports. Mix it up and have fun. Push yourself, but do so in a measured way so you can avoid burnout, overtraining, and injury. To see the actual workouts themselves, go to the written version of this book or the digital version of this book. All the workouts are listed in the appendix. Again, use the workouts as a guide. Learn about your own body. Push yourself. Most important, be consistent. And consistency starts with getting in the gym. If you are tired or sore or burned out, don't just give up completely. Go to the gym and stretch. Move. Do some light exercises, but keep the routine in place. Too often, people take a day off. Then that turns into two and two into three. And then they have gone a week without getting in a good workout. So, Maintain the routine. Maintain the discipline. Building the home gym. Having a gym in your home eliminates all kinds of excuses. There is nothing more convenient than having your gym co-located with your domicile. I have had a garage gym since I've had a garage. But garage gyms don't need to be in a garage. They can go anywhere. Basements, spare bedrooms, offices, backyards, front yards, patios, carports, anywhere. And just like anything else in life, you do what you can with what you've got. 
once you have carved out some space, it is time to start getting equipment in place. Start with a pull-up bar. You can mount one just about anywhere, and once you have a pull-up bar, you can work your whole body with all the varieties of pull-ups, push-ups, gut work, and squats. Another useful and relatively cheap piece of equipment is gymnastic rings. They can also be mounted just about anywhere and allow a great number of exercises, including ring dips, ring pull-ups, ring push-ups, L-sits, all kinds of various holds, and countless variants of each of those. Next up is a squat rack, which should include a pull-up bar and some kind of dip bar attachment. With the squat rack, a barbell and weights are needed. Rubber bumper plates allow for dynamic lifts like the clean and jerk and the snatch. That's it. That's all you need. The basic setup should go a long way in achieving exceptional fitness. Beyond that, there are countless implements to include in your arsenal when time and budget allow. Kettlebells are probably the next addition, then a rowing machine and or an air bike. A glute ham developer is another piece of equipment that is definitely nice to have at home. Medicine balls, plyometric boxes, bands, chains, club bells, sledgehammers are also fun to use. But while all those pieces of equipment are nice to have and can add some variety to training, none of them are really necessary. And although I have all those in my gym, I still most consistently use the basic equipment. Pull-up bar, dip bars, rings, squat rack, and barbell with bumper plates. Martial arts. Everyone should train in martial arts just as everyone should eat. But just as food is different and varies greatly in how it affects your body, not all martial arts are created equal. There are three broad forms of martial arts, grappling, striking, and weapons. Grappling uses leverage and holds to control or submit your opponent. Striking uses punches, kicks, knees, elbows, headbutts, and any other body part to hit the opponent. Martial arts with weapons obviously utilize a variety of weapons, including sticks, knives, and, in the modern world, firearms. Perhaps the most critical form of self-defense is the mind. By being smart and aware, you can avoid situations that are likely to expose you to danger. That being said, there are times when your mind and your intelligence can no longer help you. That is the reality. In those cases, the ultimate form of self-defense is obviously the firearm. It is an equalizer without parallel and is simply unmatched in its ability to eliminate an attacker regardless of size and strength. If a person truly needs self-protection in a high-threat area, there is no substitute for the firearm. Even in an area that might be considered low-threat, there are no guarantees. There have been horrific home invasions, carjackings, kidnappings, and other vicious and violent attacks in some of the most prestigious neighborhoods in the world that were also considered to be the safest. There is no choice but to be prepared. Of course, mishandled firearms are extremely dangerous and can cause serious injury and death to the owner or other innocent people if they are not handled with the four principles of firearm safety constantly in mind. One, treat every gun as if it is loaded. Two, never point your gun at something you are not willing to destroy. 
Three, keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on target. Four, always be sure of your target and what is behind it. Additionally, firearms should always be stored in a safe place where they cannot fall into the wrong hands. Most important, without proper training, possessing a firearm is useless or even more dangerous to its owner than not having one. Learning how to shoot quickly and accurately while under stress is absolutely mandatory if one is going to own a firearm. This means finding a good instructor at a quality range to participate in firearms training. Safety is paramount in firearms training. When treated properly and with respect, firearms training is safe. Not only does it prepare you for worst case scenario confrontation, but also provides additional benefits even if you never need to utilize your firearm for self-protection. Firearms training builds hand-eye coordination, speed, concentration, and instincts. It demands repetitive movement to develop muscle memory and demands a high level of proprioception when shooting in a dynamic situation. Finally, training competitively for speed and accuracy conditions you for high pressure situations by teaching the need to relax, detach, get control of breathing, and focus on the immediate task at hand. But firearms are not always available. There are many places in the world where carrying a gun is illegal. There are also times where firearms malfunction, so it is important to know how to defend yourself in unarmed situations, which brings us back to martial arts. First, let me say that the martial arts are very emotional for some people. Their martial art becomes their religion, and they become blinded by it. Martial arts are not static. They evolve all the time. If you do not evolve with them, you will be left behind. Picking one martial art versus another or saying that one martial art is better than another martial art drives some people crazy. I do not engage in irrational theoretical discussions on which martial art is best. There is no reason to theorize anymore. The Ultimate Fighting Championship or UFC put many theories to the test. The wars in Iraq and Afghanistan also put many theories about hand-to-hand combat to the test. Finally, every person now carries a video camera in their pocket, and there are thousands of street fights and confrontations to watch on the internet. With all that information readily available, there is no need to theorize anymore. It is easy to see what works and what doesn't. Furthermore, it is also obvious that martial arts are not stagnant. They evolve. People develop new techniques and new moves to counter other techniques and other moves. But the fundamental principles do not change. They only become reinforced. With all this information available, and with so many theories now tested in the cage, on the street, and in combat, martial arts are no longer just a theory. There is simple, pragmatic reality. So here are my recommendations on which martial arts to learn and how to proceed down the path of learning martial arts. Start with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It is a form of grappling that is highly advanced because for the most part, the actual fighting takes place on the ground. This is a key point because our first form of self-defense is to get away. Yes, run. If you are confronted by another person or a group of people, the best thing you can do is run away. Avoid the conflict. This is relatively easy if someone is trying to strike you with punches or kicks. 
They do not have control over you, so you can simply run away from them. You have won. The problem comes in a self-defense situation when someone is grabbing you. Now they are preventing your first line of defense, running away. As soon as someone grabs you, you are in a grappling scenario, and one of the most critical parts of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is escaping from someone's grip so you can run. Oftentimes, an attacker will take you to the ground in order to prevent you from escaping their grip. When this happens, the ability to ground fight is used not to stay on the ground, but to get up and get away from the attacker. The first goal of a beginner in jiu-jitsu is not to get the fight to the ground, but to get up off the ground and get away. This is an important distinction from people who believe the goal of self-defense in jiu-jitsu is to get the attacker to the ground. This is not true. The goal is to get away. But as has been seen over and over again, fights often end up on the ground and therefore a person must be prepared for it. Not training in jiu-jitsu because you don't want to go to the ground is like not learning to swim because you don't want to go in the water. It doesn't make sense. The safest way to deal with the water is to be comfortable in it. Just as being comfortable on the ground is the best way to deal with that scenario should it unfold in real life. Another reason I recommend starting martial arts by learning Brazilian jiu-jitsu is because it is the most complex of the martial arts. Although there are a finite number of basic moves and positions, there is an infinite number of moves beyond the basics, and more are developed every day in this constantly evolving art. Due to this unending depth in jiu-jitsu, it is also the most cerebral of martial arts. It provides incredible mental stimulus and a never-ending challenge to learn, develop, and improve. Jiu-jitsu never gets old. The next martial art I recommend learning is boxing. Boxing is an incredibly effective striking art despite its relative simplicity. There are only two weapons in boxing, the left hand and the right hand. But with those two weapons, an incredible advantage can be gained if you know how to throw them in effective combinations. Other critical elements learned in boxing are angles, movement, both of which are based heavily on footwork, and speed which are utilized in both the offense and defense of boxing. With basic boxing knowledge, a person can throw effective punches and avoid being punched, both extremely useful assets when attempting the primary goal of self-defense, run. Boxing develops the ability to hit quickly, avoid being hit, and run away from the area of confrontation. The next two martial arts to invest time into are Muay Thai and wrestling. They both add a plethora of options and skills to any fighter. Muay Thai adds a massive arsenal of striking options to a fighter. Where boxing utilizes only the fists, Muay Thai utilizes the fists, the elbows, the knees, and the shins in very aggressive combinations that are absolutely devastating in a fight. Muay Thai is also about pain and the ability to withstand pain. The conditioning of the shins to kick and shield kicks, as well as the conditioning of the body and legs to absorb punishment, is brutal and requires an iron will. Muay Thai also offers great work in striking from the clinch position when an opponent is grabbing you by the head and or arms. The strikes from this close range, especially the knees and elbows, are vicious. Techniques are also taught to trip or sweep the opponent to the ground that are powerful and effective. 
Wrestling is a grappling art, perhaps the most widely known and practiced. It is an amazing sport for conditioning of both the mind and the body. The physical grind of wrestling hardens the body and mind without mercy. On top of the conditioning and mental toughness derived from wrestling, it is also king of position in martial arts, meaning a good wrestler can decide what position they will be in during a confrontation. No other martial art provides the practitioner a better ability to dictate the position of a fight with one simple idea. The main focus of wrestling is to get an opponent to the ground and keep them there. This means wrestling increases the ability not only to take an adversary to the ground and keep them there, but also the ability to defend yourself from being taken to the ground. So if you are more skilled in wrestling than your opponent, you can dictate where you fight. If you are a better striker than your opponent, you can defend their takedown and win the fight on your feet. If your opponent is a better striker, you can take them to the ground and defeat them with superior grappling. Unfortunately, submission holds do not exist in wrestling, so there are no techniques taught on how to actually finish fights. That being said, there are some practitioners of what is known as catch wrestling who continue to teach extremely effective submission holds that were outlawed by the sport as wrestling gained popularity. Once a good base is established in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, boxing, wrestling, and Muay Thai, there are plenty of other martial arts to explore. Judo is a fantastic art and has very effective takedowns, especially against an opponent wearing a jacket or shirt that can be grabbed, which is often the case. Once on the ground, Judo has many similarities with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and many of the same techniques are taught. In areas where there might not be any Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu schools, Judo is the next best replacement. The Russian art of Sambo is also an extremely effective grappling art with an emphasis on leg locks. There are other martial arts that can be good to look into, such as Krav Maga and Sistema, both of which focus on self-defense as its primary mission. Martial arts like Eskrima and Kali from the Philippines, also known as Arnis, which focus on fighting with sticks and knives. Also, the Dog Brothers have pushed the limit in full contact weapons sparring and in that effort have garnered real-world knowledge beyond what was previously available. The list could go on and on. There is no reason to ever stop training and learning martial arts. Of course, it is good to be prepared to handle a self-defense situation, but the benefits of martial arts training go far beyond self-defense. Of course, you get physically conditioned. You also get mentally tougher. Real martial arts are hard. They are a mental and physical grind. If the martial art you are training in is easy, it isn't likely doing you much good. Martial arts also get you used to being in uncomfortable situations and continuing to fight on. This is important in any endeavor. Martial arts will make you better. So, train. Don't think about it. Don't take time to get in shape before you start. Just go start. The rest will come. Where to train? When picking a good jiu-jitsu academy, first things first, find some schools that are in your immediate area. Proximity is important. The more convenient it is to get to training, the more often you will be able to train. 
So find some schools that are close to your home or work or some other place where it isn't an out-of-the-way gut check to show up and train. Once you have identified some academies close by, go and pay a visit. The atmospheres in gyms can vary greatly. Some are very traditional, demand matching uniforms, bowing to instructors and to the mat, and are run in a very rigid manner. Other schools do not operate with that tradition. There is no bowing. A wide variety of uniforms can be seen on the mat. Instructors are called by their first names instead of master or sensei or professor. I have trained in both these types of schools. I am fine with both, and both types have produced world champions. You may end up preferring one style or another, but when you show up, don't have any preconceived ideas of what the school will be like. Also, don't just show up and watch. Bring your gear and participate. Evaluate the class. How was it taught? What was the attitude of the instructor and the other students? Talk to the students. What are their goals? Are their goals similar to yours? Was there much ego on the mat? Did anyone try to rip your head off? What about the instructor? Depending on where you live, the instructor may or may not be a black belt. While a black belt instructor is optimal, some areas of the world just don't have any. That's okay. A brown belt or a purple belt can give great instruction as well. There can be some concern about legitimacy of the lineage of the instructor as well. Luckily, the internet has solved most of that. A quick internet search can tell you more about the instructor, where they got their black belt, what competitions they have won, and how long they have been training. Do some research and even ask some knowledgeable people in the area or on the web. Once you are confident the instructor is legit, assess their personality. Was he or she personable? Did they teach clearly and methodically? Were they having fun? Also, with regard to the instructor, remember jiu-jitsu is not a religion and a jiu-jitsu instructor is not a god. So, while they deserve respect, just as any other person does, they should give respect as well, even to brand new white belt students. Jiu-jitsu should not feel like a cult at all. Bottom line, jiu-jitsu should be fun, friendly, and engaging. You should look forward to going to jiu-jitsu because you know you will get pushed mentally and physically. While jiu-jitsu will absolutely be humbling, tiring, and frustrating, if you don't enjoy it, you're either letting your ego get in the way or you are in the wrong school. Facing a threat. Obviously, training is the best way to prepare to face threats. But there is a difference between a training scenario at the gym or at the range and a real confrontation on the street. How can you be ready for that? And how should you react? The first thing to do is train. Train hard. Train for worst case scenarios. Train for things to go wrong by putting yourself in horrible training situations and finding your way out of them. The next most important concept is avoidance. Yes, avoid danger. Stay away from high threat areas. But we can't always avoid high threat areas and sometimes the high threat area doesn't avoid us. In the world today, conflict and danger can occur anytime and anywhere. So it is important to maintain situational awareness at all times. Pay attention to your surroundings. Look at suspicious people. Look at unsuspicious people. What are they doing? Where are they going? What are they looking at? Assess. 
While you assess, think of contingencies. Where is your closest escape route? Where is the closest cover and concealment? Cover being a place to shield you from bullets and concealment being a place to hide. If you are maintaining situational awareness, you should be very hard to surprise. If you sense something is going wrong or you sense a threat, proactively move away from it. Walk to the other side of the street. Accelerate your car. Walk out the door. Don't wait for things to get worse. If you do get surprised and you are caught in a bad situation, act. If you can run away from an assailant, do it. If you can't run because they have a hold of you, attack them. Put all your training to use as quickly and as violently as possible. As soon as you can break free, do it and run. If shooting starts, get down. Call the police at the first opportunity. If the shooting is single shots being fired at a slower pace, run immediately and keep running. If the shooting is rapid fire, find some solid cover to get behind. Wait for a lull. When the lull comes, run. That may be your only chance. If you are trapped in a room with an active shooter outside, barricade yourself. If there is an ideal hiding place, hide. If not, prepare to attack them as soon as they enter the room. Get anyone in the room with you on board and ready to swarm the attacker. If you are carrying a firearm, use it to eliminate any immediate threat to your life or the life of someone else. Use extreme caution when using a firearm in any situation. Know your target. Know the backdrop. And recognize that you might not know who is a good guy and who is a bad guy. The police might also see you as a threat. Some police officers might be in plain clothes. So if you confidently know your target and have to use your weapon, do it quickly and efficiently. Then put it away and do your best to identify yourself as a friendly. Fuel. Feeding the machine. Balance. Homeostasis is the tendency to move toward a state of balance. For instance, in a house, the thermostat keeps the temperature in balance. In the summer, it turns on the air conditioner when it gets too hot, and in the winter, it turns on the heat when it gets too cold. Homeostasis is being maintained. The body also tries to maintain a state of balance in many ways. Like the house, the body maintains a balanced temperature by shivering to heat or sweating to cool. Osmoregulation is the regulation of water content in the body. In order to maintain balance, the body uses thirst to increase water levels and sweat and urine to expel excess water. The body also uses systems to maintain the balance of acidity, blood pressure, sodium and potassium concentrations in the blood, and plasma ionized calcium. Failure to maintain the proper balance in these systems can cause significant health problems. There is another balance our bodies maintain that we have a huge influence over. It is our blood glucose level, what we commonly call our blood sugar level. We can directly influence our blood sugar levels by what we eat. 
when we eat carbohydrates our blood sugar levels go up when we eat a lot of carbohydrates our blood sugar levels go up a lot the primary action our bodies take to regulate high blood sugar levels is to release the hormone insulin into our blood from the pancreas once released insulin pushes the sugar in the blood into fat cells and also slows down the process of fat in the fat cells being pulled out and used for energy obviously when your body is putting fat into fat cells and not using your fat for energy you get fatter in order to use the fat in your body for energy the body must have gone through its most readily available source of energy glucose or sugar in the blood once that is depleted the body begins to utilize fat for energy you can deplete that sugar in the blood by exercising until it's gone fasting until it's gone or adjusting your carbohydrate intake there are other extremely negative effects of continued elevated insulin levels in the blood beyond gaining or maintaining body fat consistent spiking of insulin in the blood can lead to insulin resistance which can eventually lead to type 2 diabetes other long-term impacts that prolonged elevated insulin levels can cause are heart disease diabetic retinopathy or blindness strokes and kidney failure not good so the solution seems obvious stop eating carbohydrates or at least minimize carbohydrate intake why is that so hard the answer is simple carbohydrates are addictive yes sugar is like a drug in your brain and causes neurochemical responses similar to drugs like heroin addicted to sugar sugar truly is addictive it stimulates the same parts of the brain as heroin and cocaine when you have it you want more of it and you know this to be true that's why you can't stop eating it and when you do stop eating it you will feel withdrawal headache irritation anxiety lies the lies will come and they will come from you the lies you will tell yourself are it's no big deal you can just have a little it isn't worth it to feel this bad the body needs carbs you will rationalize and start to listen to these lies don't stay strong get off the sugar train get off the addiction stop eating sugar fuel the modern diet has been around for about 10,000 years that is when man figured out how to plant some foods grow them harvest them make them easier to digest and store them these foods were grains wheat rice corn our bodies have not adapted to eating grains yet when we eat grains they are turned to sugar in our stomachs the insulin level spikes and punishes our bodies internally so it is better to eat what we have evolved to eat that is the diet of paleolithic man or caveman here is what that diet consists of beef preferably grass-fed poultry preferably free-range fish eggs nuts vegetables 
fungi, roots, some dairy, full fat butter, cream, yogurt, cheese, limited fruit. Do not eat these things. Grains, potatoes, refined salt, refined sugar, processed oils like margarine and legumes. Eating a paleo or caveman diet flips the standard American diet on its head from a macronutrient perspective. Instead of eating mostly carbohydrates with minimum fat, this diet consists of mostly fat, then protein, and finally minimal carbohydrates. Some people use the 80-20 rule, meaning they stick with the clean paleo eating 80% of the time, and then the other 20% of the time they eat whatever they want. The problem is that the 80-20 becomes 60-40, and then 40-60, and then 20-80, and then all bets are off. Don't follow the 80-20 rule, follow the 100% rule. That might turn into the 99% rule, and that is okay. But the 80-20 rule isn't a rule. It's a step down the slippery slope. We know sugar is addictive. You are an addict. There's no such thing as an addict who is allowed to use their drug of choice 20% of the time, whether it's alcohol or cocaine or heroin. You are in the same boat, going cold turkey and holding the line is the best way to stay on track. Once you have spent enough time staying 100% clean and you are adapted to that method of eating both mentally and physically, you can make some excursions to the dark side. I have an occasional mint chocolate chip milkshake or some other delicious but not nutritious treat. And I make sure I earn it beforehand with some serious extreme physical activity. Over time, you will realize that you have lost your sweet tooth. You will also realize that the after effects, the sugar rush, the sugar crash, and the lack of energy the next day make excursions to the dark side highly undesirable and will encourage you to stay clean. I have some treats that make it easier to stay clean. I eat a couple of squares of 80% plus dark chocolate dipped in coconut oil. I have a small glass full of cream with little MCT oil and a dash of chocolate milk powder. Sometimes I'll have whipped cream with nuts on it. If you are on a strict diet, each one of those treats will taste like the richest, most satisfying dessert you have ever had. Now there are times during travel and work and life when the right foods simply are not available. In an airport or an office party or a restaurant where you are having a business meeting. My solution to that is very simple. Don't eat. It's called a fast and is actually very good for you. Fasting. Newsflash, you don't have to eat. Fasting is a gift. All those times you're at a party or the airport or on a train and they don't have any good healthy food for you to eat, the answer is simple. Don't eat. Often, not eating, fasting, is beneficial for you. Here are some of the physiological benefits that fasting appears to bring. Improves function of cells, genes, and hormones. Induces loss of body fat. Reduces risk of insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. Reduces oxidative stress and inflammation. Induces cell repair processes. 
increases brain-derived neurotropic factors, increases levels of endorphins, induces detoxification process. There are also some psychological benefits that I find very real. First of all, fasting demands that you exercise your will. It is not easy. In this modern age, we are surrounded by food all day, every day. Your caveman survival instinct, which is afraid of starving, screams at you. Eat that food. Eat as much as you can. This might be your last chance. Don't fall for that. This isn't the last food you will ever see. In fact, you will see some more food in about 10 minutes. You don't need it. You won't die without it. In fact, just the opposite is true. In this age, much of the food around is actually trying to kill you. It is poison. Donuts, poison. Soda, poison. Potato chips, poison. You don't need it. Another huge benefit of fasting is that it recalibrates your hunger demand signals. We often think we're starving after a few hours without food. I haven't had anything to eat since breakfast, we shout at 1.15 in the afternoon. We literally say, I'm starving. You are not starving. Humans can survive 30 days without food. You can make it the next few hours. You can actually make it a few days without any issue. I fast 24 hours fairly regularly. I do 72-hour fasts approximately every three months. And you know what? They aren't that big of a deal. When I am fasting, I still do everything I would normally do if I were eating. I work, work out, train jujitsu. I drink water, some tea, maybe eat some sunflower seeds in the shell just to have something to chew on. But fasting isn't that hard and you will feel better at the end of it. Fasting will recalibrate what hunger is to you. You will realize that you aren't hungry most of the time. You are just bored. And at the end of a fast, your food will taste better too. Repair and maintenance, injury prevention and recovery. Stretching. Stretching is an important part of being physically fit. It improves range of motion, helps in recovery, and also prevents injuries. There are a multitude of stretching routines out there from ancient forms of yoga to present day innovations from people like Pavel Tatsolin and programs like Kelly Starrett's Mobility Wad. Explore those and find the stretches that work best for you. Some basic stretches that I find most useful are the kneeling hip flexor stretch, swimmer stretch, Cossack stretch, hip external rotation stretch, reverse sleeper stretch, couch stretch, downward dog, and the cow face pose. You can also stretch during your warm-ups and your workouts by ensuring that you use a full range of motion during the exercises, especially during warm-up sets when doing slow repetitions. For instance, when doing a slow squat during warm-up, make sure it is not only slow, but also makes it through the entire range of motion of the squat, perhaps even a little farther than you might go when performing the exercise with weight. The same thing goes for exercises like dips, push-ups, and pull-ups. When warming up, go slow and go through the entire range of motion, even pushing a little bit past normal at the top and bottom of the exercise. 
Like anything else in health and fitness, stretching requires consistency. So figure out what movements are most beneficial for you. Don't pick too many. Stretching can be done in as little as 10 to 15 minutes, but it needs to be done. So make it part of your routine, then stick to your routine. Dealing with injuries and illness. You are going to get injured. You are going to get sick. Regardless of how careful you are in your training, how clean you eat, and how healthy you live, you are still human. Injuries and illness will occur. My theory for overcoming injuries and illnesses is simple. Do what you can. If you are sick or injured, don't use that as an excuse to skip workouts or stay in bed all day. Do what you can. Hurt your knee? Work your upper body. Work the good leg. Hurt your shoulder? Time to work on your one-armed pull-ups and push-ups. Focus on your core and legs until your shoulder heals up. Tendinitis from using your grip too much? Sounds like it is time to focus on sprinting and jumping plyometrics. Got a little cold? Flu? Same thing. Do what you can. Maybe it is just going for a walk, a couple sets of sit-ups and push-ups, but don't just stay in bed all day. Now, sometimes you get plain knocked out by illness or a virus. If it is that bad and your body absolutely needs rest, good. Listen to your body and take the rest. Also, don't bring your disease to the gym to spread around. Work out at home. Same thing with injuries. Some injuries prevent you from doing the physical things you like to do. Good. Do what you can. Work on some skills that you can do. Pick up a guitar, write a book, draw, paint, compose a song, blog, create, learn, do something. Take advantage of physical injuries and sickness by doing something you normally don't have time for. In other words, get after it. Do. Don't just read this book. Don't just listen to the podcast. Don't just watch videos online. Don't just take notes. Don't just study them. Don't just share them with your friends. Don't just plan. Don't just mark your calendar. Don't just get motivated. Don't just talk. Don't just think. Don't just dream. No. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that you actually do. So, do.